Here's a piece of the upcoming episode of the Beaver Tales podcast. I think everything really hit me then of just like, I'm not on the team anymore. And so much of my identity was was in this football. And on top of that, I was kind of at the peak of my career. And I had this kind of storybook season last year, the storybook off season. And now all of that is just gone and it's not coming back. That's just a little bit of this episode. And before we get to the whole conversation, I'm giving a shout out to Kingdom Home. You can't find a better charity than Kingdom Home, which is run by Matt Boyd, former Oregon State pitcher. His wife, Ashley, also helps operate this house in Uganda. In fact, it's now multiple houses where kids who are in danger of being trafficked can come live, have a safe place, get education at Kingdom Home. If you're already loving what you're hearing, go check out Kingdom Home at their website. The link is in the description. You can learn more and maybe donate if you're willing and capable of doing that. So thanks to Matt and Ashley Boyd, their staff, the house parents there in Uganda, and everyone else helping out with that amazing organization. All right, now on to this episode of the Beaver Tales podcast. This is the Beaver Tales podcast with Josh Ward, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. Once again, you've made a solid choice and tuned in to the Beaver Tales podcast. Hello again, everybody. I'm Josh Warden. I talk with former Oregon State student athletes about their highlights at OSU, what they're doing in life now, and how they transitioned away from college athletics. And one of the stories I've been most looking forward to is hearing from Gabe Avgard. In fact, the very second episode of this podcast a couple months ago with Alexis Serna, one of the first guys he recommended of, oh, you've got to get this football player on, was Gabe Avgard. Now, I already kind of knew Gabe a little bit and knew he'd be a good guy to reach out to, and I was planning on it, but of course it helps to get a recommendation from a guy like Alexis Serna. Now, Gabe comes from Southern Oregon, Klamath Falls, a walk-on for two years with the Oregon State football team before earning a scholarship in March of 2016. He came as a wide receiver on the scout team, but in 2015, he was forced into action on defense, started two games at safety, recording one interception at Cal against future first overall draft pick Jared Goff, now the LA Rams starting QB. Now, I was down in Berkeley for that 2015 game when Oregon State played Cal and Gabe had his first career interception. I was doing the radio broadcast for KBBR, which is the student radio station. I remember calling that play and I even went back and found the clip of Gabe making that interception. Now, my play-by-play was not very good at that point, So forgive the less than stellar broadcasting skills, but here was my call of Gabe Avgard's interception five years ago. Second and six from Oregon State's 48-yard line. Watson in motion. It's a wheel route. It's picked off at the 30-yard line. Nice interception for Oregon State on the wheel route. It's Gabe Avgard. What a play by the redshirt freshman. Reads Goff's eyes and picks off that pass intended for Bryce Treggs, and Gabe Avgard gets his first career pick. Well, there you go. There was the interception Gabe Avgard had near the end of the 2015 season. But shortly after, in the timeline of Gabe Avgard's career, he actually had to retire from football less than a year later. He sustained four concussions within a year, but stuck around in Corvallis for a while and stayed involved with Oregon State Athletics through the Beyond Football program. He eventually went overseas to study international business at the Vienna University of Economics and Business, Gabe is 24 years old now, he's married, and he works full-time for Nike. So we touch on all of those things and his pretty stark contrast of I'm a football player and I'm getting significant playing time to I'm a retired football player and I'm dealing with concussions. That's a very different stage of life to be in and it happened very quickly for Gabe. So we talk about what that was like and how he handled the ups and downs 
of all of that part of his story. So let's jump right in with former Oregon State football player and a guy who's more than just a football player, as you'll hear. Here is Gabe Avgar. It's really fun to talk with people from Southern Oregon as I've gotten to know a few people and see what that means to come out of Medford or Ashland or whatever it may be for each individual. But for you to represent both the triad school going there for three years and then Klamath Union and to, to be able to you know say you're from Southern Oregon, represent that part of this great state. What did that mean for you uh, to go up to Oregon State and be in Corvallis and represent them, not just athletically, but just as a person? Yeah, it, it meant the world to me. You know, I, I grew up hearing about Mike Keck and Alex Stork and all these guys that, that came before me and made it big, but um, there's not many of those stories. And so, you know, I think so many Klamath kids dream is, is to be the one, is to be the kid that makes it out, that makes it Division One, plays for Oregon State or U of O. And so I had envisioned myself in a Beavers uniform since for as long as I can remember, you know, and so uh, for it to actually happen, it still kind of is surreal to me that, that I even had that opportunity. Um, and yeah, I mean, it meant the world to me to just represent Klamath Falls, represent Southern Oregon. How big was being a 1A school? How big was Triad? How many students actually went there in total? I believe when I was there, they had 65 total kids in the high school. Uh, and I think my class had 18. Gosh, you must have been a pretty big fish in a small pond athletic wise. Yeah, there was some, there were some really good athletes actually that, that came through triad. I think um, we were definitely one of the best one, a athletic programs uh, in the state. And um, yeah, I mean, we had, we had some legit athletes there, but yeah. You'd be surprised actually. I mean, you wouldn't be surprised. People would be surprised. And I have been impressed with some of the guys. I mean, let's see, I think Oakland might be a two-way school, but to see like what Derrick Henry did, and I'm sure there are other names. Real quick interruption to say, I'm really stupid. Derrick Henry was the running back. He used to play for Alabama. Now he plays for the Tennessee Titans. I meant to say David Henry, who was a former Oregon State football player and wrestler who's from Umpqua, Oregon. He went to Oakland High School. Gabe was nice and didn't correct me, but I meant to say David Henry, not the Alabama running back. Okay, back to the conversation. You see these guys come out and you're like, oh, okay, just because there's you know 50, 100 people at the school doesn't mean there's a few pretty bright gems in there. Yeah, absolutely. There are definitely some uh, diamonds in the rough down there in those smaller schools. So, I had Dustin Stanton on this podcast a couple of months ago, and there's one story I wanted to revisit with you that kind of loosely involves him. Um, this is from the spring practice of 2016. You're just recovering from mono at this point, so that's one thing. <laughs> You're coming back, and uh, you notice, like, I remember talking with you about how uh, Derek Odom was kind of giving you the eye and Devin Chappelle is kind of smiling at you and people are treating you weird. And then Dustin Stanton stands up and he's reading something in front of the practice. And it, it was all kind of surreal. You don't really know what's happening. And then some, you know, the news hits you. So tell me your recollection of what that news was and how that day felt for you in March of 2016. Yeah. Yeah, man. Got to go back a little bit there. <laughs> Yeah, I actually remember waking up that morning and I was like, oh man, here we go. I think it was a Monday um, and an early morning workout. I was like, man, I, I don't know if I have it in me today. So um, definitely wasn't super motivated waking up, but went to the workout, was sitting there and then uh, 
they were playing a game and it, you know as a walk I talked to my friend Drew Kell about this a lot um it was kind of like every day even before it was warranted when I was a red shirt and I hadn't done anything for the program like every day you're wondering ah, am I going to get a scholarship today um and so whenever those games came up you're like you know you've seen the ESPN videos you're like oh maybe this is it um and so I, I think I had that thought at the time of like, yeah, it might be me, but I had also gone through enough of those without getting a scholarship that um, I think I was starting to kind of give up hope uh, on that front. And so, yeah, sure enough, they, they went up there, uh, Dustin, they, they had me come up, which I felt like I was never involved in those games. And so that was another thing I was like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. Like, I feel like I never get chosen for these. And then yeah, Dustin starts reading the thing and he's like, is this right? And I'm like, like my heart starts pounding, you know, and like getting the chills a little bit because I'm like, no way, no way, no way. And then he says 20, whatever, eight, 17 full ride scholarship uh, for Gabe Avgarden. And then it was just like, <laughs> like mountaintop moment, you know, trying not to cry in front of everyone, but the team surrounded me, such an awesome group of guys and just celebrated me, which meant the world, so. How much did that change for you personally as realizing, oh my, oh my gosh, I got a scholarship um, financially, if you ever consider like I might have to transfer, go somewhere smaller or like, you know, if you were thinking about that, I mean, how much did that scholarship impact you tangibly? Oh, it was huge. I mean, um, I don't come from a lot of money. So everything that I was paying for up there was, was pretty much me paying for my parents helped where they could, but um, I had, a lot of academic scholarships which was a huge blessing and so that kind of sustained me those first two years but that was near in the end of my sophomore year and uh, the scholarships were kind of expiring and things were running out and I was I was in a pinch and it was like if I don't get this scholarship I don't know if I'll be coming back next season and so in the nick of time um, I got rescued financially and was able to stay and so that scholarship was huge it kept me at Oregon State I think so the crazy thing is once you got that scholarship the expectation was that you'd have at that point I guess still three years of eligibility left so you could have plenty more good days competing for playing time you had a pretty good season starting a couple games the previous fall leading into getting that scholarship and even though you got that scholarship in 2016 uh, you never again played college football for Oregon State or for any school. So take me through that experience the rest of the offseason and into fall camp of 2016 of what happened and how you handled it personally. Yeah, yeah. No, that was a, that was a rough winter from the start. I ended the season um, getting a concussion in the Civil War, or sorry, the, the in-state rivalry. Right, um, right, right. Yep. And so – that was, I think, two two drives into the game. And so that was pretty crushing for me to not be able to finish that game out. Um, it was a blessing that I got to start in it and all that dream come true, but definitely wanted to finish it out. And so that was kind of the start of my off season. Um, and then I I got kind of a, a myriad of, of weird ailments. I got pink eye, I got an ear infection, all these different things. And then finally mono hit. And, um, and that took me out for about a month. And then spring ball came around and I was feeling good, feeling better. And I was just super excited to get after it. Um, I was on scholarship now. And so uh, it was, it, it had a different feel to it. I was on the depth chart for the first time. I was in the two deep and, and getting all the reps and spring ball. And so uh, I was stoked. And then 
couple days into practice, uh, maybe first day of full pads, Kyle White is running down the sideline and I, um, I decided to hit him high, you know, kind of leave my feet, go for the Superman tackle high on the shoulders and hit my head right against it, bent my neck weird, fell down and sure enough, got a concussion. And so uh, that was it for spring ball, you know, that was a concussion in November and then a concussion in whatever it was, April, March at the time. And so, um, and I, I knew, like I knew that I had one more after that. And um, even with that, I wasn't super comfortable because the concussions were starting to take a toll. And I was pretty, pretty low. I was struggling with some depression and anxiety during the time. And so uh, that was, that was another big blow. And then summer came and went, um, got in great shape and really was ready for the season. And I remember in fall camp in Bend um, being out on the field the first day of full pads and there was just a eeriness and a fear inside me that I'd never felt um you know I I'd always been pretty fearless on the football field and for the first time I had this kind of gripping fear um just knowing that you know one slip up and, uh, and I'm done and sure enough uh something happened and I look back and I you know I I don't even know what hit did it but I got a concussion in fall camp and um and that that was that and they they gave me the opportunity to keep playing they said you can sit out a year you won't get a red shirt but you'll sit out a year and come back and I was like you know I've gotten a concussion at least one concussion every football season since freshman year of high school so I think it's I think it's time to call it so I know what you mean I mean that's that's not an easy decision for anyone to make but I think looking back on it, you may already feel and will feel that was the right choice for, for a couple of big reasons. When you were going through the worst of it, of how much it was affecting you as a person, with your mental health, with physical health, how much of that do you think was the existential, like, I'm going through a rough time because I realized football might be on the edge and it's just a logical realization or more internal, like chemical, my brain is going through trauma and my mental health is going up and down just because of my brain physically is having difficulty or maybe it's a little bit of both. What, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think it's a little bit of both and just, I mean, the pressures of, um, being a collegiate athlete, being a walk-on, being a walk-on is, is not easy. And I know, uh, we talk about the life of a college athlete and, and how hard it is, but I think you talk to any walk-on and uh, I, I think it's, you know, not taken away from anyone else. I think it's a lot harder for us. We go, we go through a lot there. And, um, and so, yeah, just, just knowing that financially I was on the edge, uh, physically I was on the edge. Um, and then those rough Corvallis winters with the, the rain constantly and then the mixture of concussions and, and mono and all the physical stuff going on. I think it was kind of the perfect storm. So. so once you finally did say, I'm done, I'm making that choice, no more football for me. Um, there are a couple things that may have helped. For one, correct me if I'm wrong, but you did get to keep the scholarship, even though you're not on the roster, but they'll honor the financial part of that agreement so you got that for the rest of your academic career so that's big um, mm -hmm. and you were kind of involved in the football program you're doing the beyond football thing so you know I would see you around the games and you're still interacting with the guys even if you're not wearing a jersey so 
what was that transition like where you're still in Corvallis, you're taking classes, but you're not a football player. How much did your mental health, emotional health, stability, did it, did it stay the same kind of, and even for a while, did it take an immediate spike upwards or downwards? Like what did that happen in the months right after you officially retired? Yeah, I think the first month was actually the best month. Uh, the first month following, I went home um, to Klamath Falls. I was with my family. Um, you know, I got to go hunting for the first time in a few years and just be in the outdoors. And so I felt really supported then. And, and that was great. But then when I came back, that's when I started helping with the football team. And then I think everything really, really hit me then of just like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not on the team anymore. And so much of my identity was, was in this football. And on top of that, I was kind of at the peak of my career. And I had this kind of storybook season last year, the storybook off season. And now all of that is just gone. And it's like, it's not coming back. And so being around the football games, I think was both helpful and detrimental. I haven't come to a conclusion on, on whether it was good or bad, but um, I do know that it, it kept the pain of not playing really close. And so, yeah, it was, it was challenging to watch, to watch those games that first season and to be around that and to um, see the guys suited up. And then I'm just in my normal clothes and just another guy on the sideline. In the end, how many concussions would you estimate you got high school, college altogether? Yeah, I, it's around 11 um, total. And that's starting from junior high. Uh, so uh, it's around 11. Do you notice to today any lasting effects, any other, you know, so I've heard guys talk about slurring of the speech or kind of losing your, uh, you know, your train of thought for a second. Do you notice any impact even to now? I do. I do. There's days that are worse than others. And I think overall it's improved. Um, but there's definitely days where I have trouble kind of forming sentences and really like articulating thoughts well. Um, and so it can be fr and then there's just foggy days there's pressure in my head um, I don't get a lot of headaches which I'm grateful for but yeah there's definitely some residual effects of all that sure coming back to kind of what you looked at following football so you you get out of that environment you don't have to worry about the concussions anymore at least not getting another one but you're still dealing to, at least to a certain degree with the the impact of that physically what about what you looked to for you talked about the identity. You had the storybook season. You had the interception of Jared Goff, the two starts and the, the scholarship and all these really fun moments and, and plenty of time left. And so once you realize, oh, my gosh, like I'm not a football player anymore. I can't be Gabe Ovgar of the Oregon State safety. What helped or, or maybe what was what did you realize about yourself that, oh, my, you know, I, I really – needed something else to look for but what helped or hurt in that time period where you needed to look to something else to define you yeah yeah um I would I would love to say you know as a believer in Jesus I would love to say that I looked to him and and that it was great and that I found my identity in him but the truth is I had a theology that um kind of told me God was there to give me all the good things give me all the blessings and just make my life easy and comfortable and fun um, and so when I stopped, I was like, well, what the heck? This isn't fun. Like, <laughs> this isn't bettering me. This isn't, doesn't seem to be in my best interest. And so I wrestled a lot, I think, with, with God and just the fact that um, he would take away a good gift like that from me. Um, 
And so, yeah, it wasn't until till later that I kind of had this um, realization of, of my faith and, and who God was and how Christians just are supposed to be um, the best in terms of living into their suffering uh, through Christ. And so I would love to say that I did that well then, but I didn't. And so what I did look to, I think was, it's hard to say, like, I didn't look to a lot. And I, I remember I just kind of shrunk back and I felt like an outsider on the football team. I felt like an outsider outside of the the football world. Um, I remember there'd be days my friends came home from my roommates came home from practice at you know noon and I was just waking up and so I that that took a toll on me it's like I'm kind of a a piece of crap was like the feeling of like dang I haven't done anything and these guys have already gotten a workout practice and a class in and so I don't know if I refilled or or filled my identity identity with anything else after that I just kind of floated for a while there yeah, I mean, I don't blame you. It, it's hard to make that transition to go from a spot of being pretty fulfilled in the dream that you had. And so to lose out on that is going to throw you for a loop. And there may even be a positive of realizing what it feels like. Because a lot of people can can fill their life with some decent things, but it almost might help to really have a high and completely lose it to know what it feels like to not have that depravity of sorts. And And to speak to your point of no matter what, anyone's religious beliefs are to think of any sort of deity as being a cosmic vending machine of Mm -hmm. they're in it to give me what I want. That belief is never going to work, right? It's always going to fall apart. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's, I mean, there's so much suffering in in the world and you look at, you know, people in third world countries, Asia, Africa, and they're starving every day. and, And it's like, well, you know, God's still with them. So we're not, we're not exempt here in, in America. And I, this is a lesson that I've been learning. It's like, I'm not exempt from this stuff. You know, I'm, I'm definitely blessed. In your trajectory, then going further from that, there were a couple other big life events. You, you went overseas and studied for a while in Europe and you got married and you started working at Nike and, and whatever else there is that's happened in your life since then. So, so there's some big things that have come in. How has, you know, on the same theme of, how happy and you know emotionally content you were as you're going through these other big life events where did those fit into that arc in your life did they come as a result of becoming happy you know more stable and then you were able to experience these things did did those things cause a certain level of happiness fulfillment Uh, you know how how did those come about the last couple years yeah yeah that's a good question um so i think I think they probably fulfilled some of that happiness um, in, a, in, in a lot of ways that they, they shouldn't have and that they weren't meant to. Um, thinking back just on the identity question, I, as, as that school year went on and I got my internship at Nike, um, I definitely started to place my identity in Nike um, in, in the swoosh. And it was like, oh, I'm a Nike guy now. I'm a Nike lifer. I'm going to work at Nike, all this stuff. And so... Um, the next school year, it was it was Nike or bust. And then I did my term abroad and I planned to come back and get a job at Nike. And so um, then the study abroad came and I thought that was going to be, um, I, I thought it was going to be just this, this time of 
pure bliss and happiness. And uh, I watched Rick Steves Europe and the, the way he presents Europe is just yeah. so amazing and awesome. And so I expected to be Rick Steves over there. And then I went there and um, I was pretty much alone. My friend, a friend came with me for the first two months. Uh, then after that, he left and I was alone there. Um, I was an outsider and I was, I kind of fell back into that place of depression. You know, I, I didn't know how to travel. I didn't know how to make friends. Um, and so I sat in my studio apartment pretty much the last two months, except for when Riley came out and my family came out. Um, and so I had looked to it as a source of potential happiness and it definitely, um, fell flat in that front. Um, yeah. Have you had similar difficulties in it? Marriage can also become its own crux of, you know, I, I expect my wife or my, you know, my husband to make me happy and, and they're my fulfillment. They're my other half. And you, you know, the phrase you complete me sounds really nice. And it is, it's a, it's a very affirming phrase, but it could also be dangerous because what happens when things don't go well and then the person you expect to complete you, then you're having friction or an argument or whatever it may be. So has that been difficult to, you know, I'm sure Riley, I haven't met her personally. I'm sure she's great and very easy to become, you know, enamored with and maybe put your identity with. So has that been a, 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 a trap for you sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Riley was definitely something I looked to as a source of happiness and a source of something to ease all the pain and to kind of put my identity in. And um, I, I, I had a lot of expectations and she'll tell you the same thing. Like the expectations I had for her were pretty crazy. Um, and then, you know, we got married and uh, it's still, it's still like breaking down those expectations and like putting her in her proper place, you know, in relation to the God I serve and, and all that stuff. And so, um, and I, I did that work with work as well. You know, I thought, okay, I'm at Nike and this is going to be, this is going to be it for me. And I had all these expectations of what that would be like. And just like everything else that felt flat when it's, when it's out of its proper place. And so I think one of the main lessons that God has taught me the last few years is that any, anything that I put my hope or happiness or trust um, in that's not him falls flat. And so uh, it's been, it's been a learning process. It's been hard at times, but I think I'm finally getting it. That's, that's good to hear. And, and the nice thing is, theoretically, you've got a long ways ahead of you. You're not even to one year of marriage yet. So the things you're working through are good um, yes. and, and good to work through early. Like you said, you'll hit your one year anniversary next month, I guess, right? Um, yep. And uh, so yeah, definitely you're, you're ahead of the schedule in a lot of ways. Uh, was there a moment in these first 11 months or so of marriage where it kind of hit you oh, I was putting way too much expectations on Riley. I, I thought it would be like this and I can't expect her to be this person. You kind of had to take a step back. Was there a specific story or moment you remember that kind of hitting you? Um, yeah, I would say I would say it actually came before uh, in our engagement, late, late in our engagement. I was meeting with a mentor of mine um, named Ben and uh, he had really poured into me these last, this last year and a half since I got to Beaverton. And, um, I, I was meeting with him just talking about Riley and, and the ways that we were struggling and all this stuff. And he's like, you know, no matter what she does, no matter how she acts, no matter what her attitude is that day, 
it's your job to love her and and to treat her well and to to like a, a big christian you know biblical thing is to love your wife like christ loves the church and what did christ do for the church he gave his life up for it and so he kind of brought this new perspective to me of like no matter how she acts towards me it's my job to give my life up to her um and that was that was tough to hear and it's tough to learn and it's tough to do but um little by little i'm i, I think and i hope i'm getting better at it and have riley she's she's so amazing she makes it easy um so yeah that's a blessing that's awesome it'll be it'll be fun to see um you know all the lessons that that you learn and a lot of you know friends our age i i officiated my first wedding this past weekend and a friend of mine got married and it was it just hit me like oh my gosh like the the commitment and to to say the say the phrase i now pronounce you husband and wife like i i was more nervous than anyone else in the room either of them getting married i was so scared but I mean, the lessons you learn and, and the process that you're going through personally, and um, there, there's nothing like that, you know, it's, it's, it'll change you as a person for sure. A quick interruption of this interview to let you know about a future project that I think you'll like if you're listening to this podcast. You may have noticed that I've gotten several baseball players from the 2018 Beaver Baseball Squad on this podcast. I've also gotten several interviews that I've not even released on this podcast that'll be exclusively for a future project. It'll be a multi-part series documenting that 2018 championship squad. This audio documentary will give you a behind-the-scenes look, including stories you may not have heard and recollections firsthand from some key moments right there in Omaha. And I got two strikes on me. I'm nervous. I catch a glimpse at Coach Casey in the dugout. He's screaming at me. He's telling me to stay through the baseball, stay through the baseball. I took a really, really deep breath, and I was able to get it down to one thought. And it was always, I'm a beast. I'm a beast. I would connect to my breath. I would find my focal point, And I'd said, I'm a beast. Stay through this pitch. And he threw the same exact pitch, and I caught full barrel on it. You'll hear stories like those and how they fit together through the 2018 postseason on this multi-part series documenting that 2018 Beaver baseball team. There will also be some documentaries narrating moments from other Beaver sports to come afterwards, but stay tuned for updates right here in the Beaver Tales podcast on a release date and other info. All right, back to the interview. Couple last things for you. Tell me a little bit more. We've talked briefly about Nike, but what is your kind of day-to-day job look like what's something that you're passionate about and what you're doing uh, for Nike right now yeah so day to day I'm a Nike expert on demand which essentially means I'm a um, chat agent so uh, part of the membership benefits of the Nike app is to have an expert on demand uh, ready to answer your questions about sport products styling anything even even stuff like returns so our unofficial slogan is real athletes, real answers. And um, day to day, I'm just trying to, to give Nike consumers great service and uh, help them find the right gear for whatever sport or activity they're doing. Um, as far as what I'm passionate about, I, uh, my degree was in marketing. Um, my internship was in football sports marketing with Nike. And that's definitely a field that, that I'm looking to get more into as I, um, look to grow my career and stuff. And so I'm definitely hoping for that next marketing opportunity. I remember chatting with some different Nike people from Oregon State, and there's a fair amount. I remember talking with Mike Haas years ago, I think Justin Cahoot, and there's probably a lot. How many Oregon State football players or other student athletes have you been able to interact with at Nike? Yeah, I want to say I've met with 
close to all of them. Wow. Um, yeah, and they're great. They're super helpful and just open to to meeting up and kind of making a community there. So that's that's been a really uh, great part of the company for sure. Yeah. Okay. Last thing, since I mentioned the the interception, I remember being down there in Berkeley and seeing you on a on a wheel route to Bryce Treggs and Jared Goff kind of underthrows it a little bit and you cut off the route and and pick it off. Um, what was the story on the interception? I want to say you like a, a maybe another defensive back told you you know what to look for and helped you out. What's your memor- memory like right before that play happened and then actually getting your first career interception? Yeah, yeah. So um, I ran out there um, pretty, pretty excited that week. I actually, I think I had a dream that I got an interception, which was kind of cool. But wow. I ran out there super excited, ready to go. We were in quarters um, and Tristan Dakoud was at corner on my side. And he says, hey, uh, watch, watch the, I think he said screen and go or, or something like that, hitch and go. And so I was kind of tipped off to it because, um, you know, he's a film guy. He watched film. So gave, gave the, the new guy a little tip there. And um, sure enough, uh, Jared Goff pump fakes the wheel route and the guy runs it. Um, and I was there on the hash ready to, to snatch it. And Do then you, afterwards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, go ahead. Afterwards, go ahead. Um, I, I came down, threw the ball to the ref, which I should have kept it. Kind of regret that. But, um, <laughs> And then I just got swarmed. I remember Brandon Arnold was one of the first guys up there. And then the rest of the team just started running with me. And I was just streaking across the field, <laughs> kind of out of my mind. Couldn't believe what happened. And so it was it was great, great memory. Do you still watch LA Rams games every once in a while and think, I, I picked that guy off, though? Absolutely. But to be honest, I don't have to really say that I picked off Jared Goff anymore. I think everyone does it for me. Um, <laughs> You know, I'll be out in public with friends and stuff, and they'll say, this guy picked off Jared Goff, and I'm just kind of over there hiding my face a little bit, but um, people are great about it. Is there something that you would say, I mean, that's an easy one to point out of, like, that was the pinnacle of the career, but sometimes players would be like, I know that's what everyone points to, but I'm more proud about this moment. Is there another play that maybe went under the radar, but you're more proud of? Yeah, I would say earlier that game, even I had a I was on punt and they punted it and I got blocked and actually fell down on the ground. Um, and then I got back up and ended up making the tackle on the play. And so um, that that was a big, big for me because I felt like there was a lot of persistence and perseverance there. And um, yeah, that's a, that's a special play for sure. All right, next time I introduce you, I'll say Gabe Ovgard, the guy that made a tackle against California on punt block coverage, <laughs> and everyone will be impressed. That, that's the there better one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's great. Well, thanks so much for your time, Gabe. It's been really fun to, to catch up, hear your thoughts, and you've got a pretty great story of what it means to, to lose a lot and to come back and to, to find some way to fight through it and to find a lot of uh, brightness in that. So thanks for sharing your story. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Go Beavs. Really tremendous to hear from Gabe Ovgard and his story of what it meant to go from being a big-time football player at a Pac-12 school and earning a scholarship to losing out on pretty much everything that he found his validation and his identity in. And you got to search for something else to fill that void. And it did not go well for him for a little while. He's in a much better place now. And at 24 years old, he's growing in that. And it's fun to hear his side of the story. And uh, I bet he'll have a lot of growth moments and things learned from not even a year in marriage yet 
and a lot of life ahead of him. So best of luck to Gabe and everything ahead of him in his marriage with Riley, his work with Nike, and whatever else may come in his future. I think he's got a lot of bright things ahead of him. Once again, if you want to check out the Beaver Tales documentaries, hear about some significant moments in Oregon State history and relive them through the eyes of the people that made them happen, that's the project I'm working on the first season on the Oregon State baseball team in 2018. To learn more, click the link in the description of this episode. You can uh, subscribe for some email updates and listen to that project when it comes out. Probably at the end of this year, January, I'll, I'll release that in a few months from now. All right, thanks for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast, everybody. Until a few days from now, when you listen to the next episode, good night and go Beavers.